We were not made to live long-term in a state of fear or in a state of anxiety. They're just, it's an, sort of an emergency response system. It's not the way we were supposed to operate day to day. When we worry, we keep ourselves in that place. And you know, an, an anxiety disorder can do the same thing. It can keep us in that place. The difference is that's not voluntary. That's an involuntary response. Worry, you know, when we choose to engage in worry, that's voluntary and we can make a different choice. My name is Colleen Swindall Thompson. I'm the director of Reframing Ministry at Insight for Living. And it is my thrill and honor to introduce Amy Simpson, who is my guest this month. Amy, thank you for being with me. Thank you for having me here. It's great to have the opportunity to talk with you. Well, we have an incredible conversation that we're going to have because it's about 75 to 80% of Americans struggle with this. And it's on anxiety, worry, and stress. And Amy, um, before we get into that conversation, I want to introduce you and say you are an author, speaker, life leadership coach who helps influencers get clear on their calling and thrive in times of transition so they can see clearly, lead boldly, live true, and fully engaged in life with guiding purpose. I love that. Thanks. That's fantastic. Me too. You are an author of an award-winning book called Troubled Minds, Mental Illness in the Church Today. Um, Mental Illness in the Church's Mission. And then the book that we're going to be talking about is on anxiety called Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry. And my first question would be, what brought you to write this book? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and, you know, actually, there's, you know, it's kind of a joke among authors that you should be careful what you, you decide to write about because whatever it is, you'll probably li be living through it a lot during the time you're writing it. Um, and, you know, you certainly, you find yourself, I've found that to be true to, to a degree. I'm constantly challenged by my own words and by, you know, the experience of writing on a topic. But, you know, really this comes out of my own experience. Um, and certainly it's related to my passion around just mental illness, mental health, and the the relationship between our mental health and and the church, um, the church's response, and questions of faith that come mm -hmm. up around questions around mental health. Um, but it's also, you know, it's not just about mental illness or mental health problems. It's really ultimately about the kind of worry that we all face and and engage in, and and most of us struggle with to some degree, and just you know what what that looks like in the life of faith, and and how we can. Um, kind of battle that. So that, again, it really comes out of my own experience. Amy, let me ask you this. A lot of times what our passions come from, things that we've gone through in our past and have worked through or are in the process of working through them. What sort of things um, led to you addressing issues from the past, which then allowed you to write a book like this? Yeah, you know, the book that really really touches on my my past experience in a big way is is the other book I have out troubled minds you know that talks about my own family's experience with serious mental illness with my mom's uh, schizophrenia and how that impacted our family um, but you know this this story or my experience that's reflected in anxious really kind of flows out of that to some degree you know growing up in a family where mental illness was present there was there was a lot of um 
a lot of stress with that. There was a lot of uncertainty that comes along with that. And, you know, when I was growing up, even though my mom's illness was hidden when I was a child, um, at the same time, I was aware of it. You know, I didn't understand it. I didn't right. know what was what was happening. And really, really none of us did. It was not something that we addressed until I was a teenager. But even as a small child, you know, I felt that my mom was was fragile and that she was she was fearful mm. of the world around her. She was anxious and worried. And some of that came out of, um, you know, her own struggle to understand what was real and what wasn't real. But the, you pick up on these things as a child. So, you know, I would say in my own experience, I, I have not, I have never struggled with an anxiety disorder okay. where I, you know, I've never experienced what it's like to have a panic attack, for example. Yeah. Um, but I, I definitely experience um, anxiety to a degree that sometimes it feels um, almost like it's, you know, out of control for me or um, like it, it can, it itself is calling the shots for me rather than me kind of calling the shots in my life. And I can remember that experience being true for me, you know, as far back as, as I can remember my life. So that's something I've always lived with to a degree. And I didn't really... Um, I didn't really understand just how much of an impact that was having on me until a few years ago when the way I see it, God just kind of decided it was time to tackle that, <laughs> that issue in my life. His timing. He just doesn't ever ask for our permission either, does he? <laughs> exactly. That's kind of what he does. So, um, yeah, so I was, you know, I was sitting in, in a Bible study. I was sitting in the back of a church, um, listening to a speaker and, um, I was thinking about all the things I had to do and all the reasons I didn't have time to be there right then and all the things that I was going to um, get done when I when I left, you know, when I got out of there and all the things that were worrying me there. And there was a lot of stress in my life at the time. Um, my, you know, we, my family um, was under a lot of financial stress. We owned, we accidentally became the owners of two houses. <laughs> um, and I can, you know, tell more about that. But that um, so that we were trying to sell, sell a house. We were, um, you know, maybe go undergoing, I was thinking about making a big transition in my career and my job. Um, you know, we have two kids. We, um, all of the, just the everyday stresses that go along with that as well. And there, there's always stress related to my my family of origin with my mom's health. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a lot of things weighing on my mind besides just the everyday, you know, grocery lists and um, managing a, a life as a, as a professional and a mom. And suddenly, as this speaker was reading from scripture, she started reading from Isaiah 40. And it hit me so hard. Like I've heard this passage, these passages, you know, many times I've heard that chapter. I've read it myself many times. But it never has hit me as powerfully as it did in that moment when I suddenly recognized the contrast between my own like worried, frenzied mind sitting here in the presence of these words from from the mouth of God himself about how mighty and how powerful he is, how he is in control of everything to the point where he knows all the stars by name. <laughs> And he's the one who keeps them in place, you know, and here I am thinking I have to carry all the details of my life. I have to worry over all these things. It's all up to me is essentially what it boiled down to. You know, I recognized for a moment that I had these faulty beliefs mm. that were fueling my emotional habits. And um, God just God just granted me a moment of grace to, to see that. And that's really where this book 
was born and and it, it really began to take shape in that moment. Well, I'm going to jump ahead because I want to talk about neuroplasticity, but um, when we were talking before, it's amazing how children, a parent doesn't have to say anything, but children feel their fear and their anxiety. I was reading a statistic yesterday that said 70 to 80% of parents are anxious about something, and most of their children say they feel that anxiety, and their first emotion to it is they feel sad. And and, and that does affect how the brain is developing. So you have a habituated response to the stress that's in your life naturally. How do you, I mean, how do you work with that when that pathway, that neural pathway from way back when was created? Yeah, and you know, for me, the there there are a few answers to that question. One of them it really is, honestly, I've worked with counselors, you know, I've done healing work in therapy, um, and that's been really important for me. So I don't want to, I don't want to give the impression that, um, you know, the spiritual work is the only thing necessary here. It's not. Um, or that or that a book like mine, you know, will have all the answers. If some, if someone has, you know, these patterns of thought and these emotional habits that are deeply ingrained, often we need another person to come alongside us and help us retrain mm-hmm. our thoughts and find new ways of thinking and, and forge new patterns. Um, and we, you know, we need to do healing work just because we're in relationship with Christ, just because we you know, engage with scripture and, um, and have the Holy Spirit living within us doesn't mean we get to s- skip all the <laughs> healing work that we as humans need to do. doesn't mean we, we get to fast forward the process of emotional maturity. Right. So, you know, so I have had to invest in that um, for, for sure. Uh, but also, you know, it really has helped me tremendously to have, um, to have scripture speaking into my life, to have the Holy Spirit present with me. Um, and to learn to um, to believe something different in the moment where you know my belief is telling me I need to be riddled with anxiety or I need, that I need to exert more control over the situation, um, it's extremely difficult to change that <laughs> that pattern you know of of always seeking more control. Um, to challenge myself, you know, to learn to challenge myself to to examine okay, what am I actually believing in this moment mm-hmm. and what's actually true? Mm-hmm. And to turn my thoughts towards something that, is, that I know is true from scripture and from my own experience. Well, um, So that, you know, and that eventually that, that does retrain our brains, yes. you know, to think differently. Well, and cognitive behavioral therapy is one of the primary ways of treating trauma because it does put thoughts, I mean, it, it's examining our thoughts and saying, is that a true thought, or is that a thought that's not based on truth? And then let's put the truth in there, which is why I love the book, which has so much scripture in it. And you don't whitewash anything. You don't make it um, say this is an easy process. You say, look through history at what the Lord has allowed. In fact, you quote Habakkuk, um, even though we don't see any of God's hand in this. And then also in Lamentations, you quoted from that. He still is good, and he still is faithful, and he still is loving. But there's some work to be done when we've been traumatized or when we live with anxiety. I love one of the the quotes that um, you give from Barry Schwartz, which his TED Talk is amazing. I heard his TED Talk on this very subject. 
And you said um, the paradox of choice is what he had written, Why Less is More. And he says our dizzying array of choices is making us miserable. Perhaps there comes a point at which opportunities become too numerous that we feel overwhelmed. Instead of feeling in control, we feel unable to cope. To have so many choices appears to be a luxury, but the constant decision-making, which worries us, taxes our energy, requires us to be on at all times. If we aren't worried, the world around you will assume you are uncaring, emotionally dead, unengaged, in the human experience, and unproductive. Worry is in fashion. <laughs> I love how you put that. And it really, really is. The number one word is busy. Everybody's busy, busy, busy. And it's, how do you address that when you come to a place where you're sitting in church and you're mulling over these things? And, um, and you then go, I need to simplify. I need to calm these thoughts. Yeah, I think one thing we have to do is um, resign ourselves to being countercultural mm. and recognize that when when we really when we simplify, when we um, reject some of the pressure that is on us from the, the world around us, because we really do, we don't think about it. But mm. we like you, you know, like you just read, we make choices constantly, all day, every day. We are in a position to have to choose. And we face a lot of pressure from the, the culture around us to be worried and to show that we care by worrying. Um, if we're going to reject that, if we're going to live differently, if we're going to um, replace worry with faith, if we're going to embrace peace, um, people will look at us with suspicion. You know, they'll think they will mistake our peace for apathy. Um, they will, you know, it's funny because it's like there's this sense that there's this big, huge burden of worry that we're all supposed to carry together. And if you choose not to participate in that, you know, you're letting everybody else down somehow, which is, you know, ridiculous because it doesn't, we're not helping anybody right. by worrying. We're not helping ourselves either. We're hurting ourselves. But, you know, misery loves company. So we there is a lot of pressure to conform to that. And we have to go be okay with being countercultural and not not being conformed and um, enduring the, the pressure and the suspicion that might come with that. At the same time, recognizing that people will really probably be very curious about why we've been able and how we've been able to um, achieve a more peaceful life or a more peaceful version of ourselves. And it may give us opportunities as well to, um, to share what faith and what Christ have done in our lives. Well, I think that's so critical because um, it's almost reframing public opinion and looking at it as not a negative thing, but, guy, this could be a mission. You know, this, this could be an opportunity to help somebody else become unknotted and unraveled from what's binding them up. Um, in the book, you talk about fear, anxiety, and worry, and you define them differently. How do you, tell me how you categorize each one of those. Yeah, and I think this is important because we often, we confuse these three concepts or we even use them interchangeably. Yes. And they actually really, they're different. And, and you know, some, they're not all bad and they're not, they're definitely not always bad. So, um, yeah, so one analogy I often use is the analogy of um, crossing a street. So I I'm going to cross the street, I step out into the street and I'm like in the middle of the street when I see a bus coming at me. 
And I'm going to, my reaction is going to enable me to get myself out of the street just as soon as possible. You know, suddenly my body's going to react to that and just automatically I'm going to go one way or the other, but I'm going to get out of the way of that bus. Right. That's fear. Right. <laughs> you know, that's, and that helps me. If I didn't feel fear in that moment, I would get run over by the bus. I wouldn't <laughs> exactly. last very long. So, you know, fear is helpful to us and it basically, it engages that, what we often call that fight or flight response um, that, and our bodies take over sometimes and get us out of that situation. I don't have to stand there and go, now, what should I do? Should I, you know, go this way or that way? Should I, you know, run, run in front of the bus or what, you know, I don't have to process any of that. My body knows what to do and it gets me out of that situation. Anxiety is, you know, next time I go to cross the bus or to cross the street and I remember, you know, last time there was a bus coming down the street when I went to cross, um, I wonder if there might be one coming this time and maybe there's a little feeling of butterflies in my stomach or something that reminds me um, I could be in a dangerous situation here. So I stop and I look both ways and I really check um, the road to make sure there's no bus coming before I cross. And so again, in that situation, that's a help. That's helpful. Right. It's helpful to us when anxiety kicks in and tells us, you know, there's a possibility that something might go wrong here, or it reminds us, you know, last time something actually did go wrong. So you might want to avoid this situation. Um, so it's, you know, again, it's a mechanism that enables us to protect ourselves, maybe protect people we love, um, make wiser decisions. Um, just be more alert and more aware so that we can perform better in a pressure situation. So, you know, both of those things, they're good for us. Right. They're gifts from God. If we, if we lived in a perfect world, we wouldn't need either one of them. But we don't. Right. We live in this world. And there are reasons for us to to be afraid and to be anxious at times. And so fear and anxiety protect us. Worry, on the other hand it's really not a helpful tool. It doesn't really help us protect ourselves. Um, what it does is keep us in a place of fear or in a place of anxiety at a time when it's not helpful to us. You know, instead, it, it takes its toll on us. You know, so when fear, fear um, kicks in, it demands a lot from all these different systems in our bodies. You know, these adrenaline, yes. this adrenaline and these other hormones are coursing through our bodies. You know, our, our brain is um, really engaged. Our senses become hyper alert. You know, our heart beats faster. Our lungs breathe faster. All of that is, it's demanding on our bodies, but it's necessary when we um, really need to feel fearful or anxious. When we don't, all of those things begin to take their toll on us because we were not made to live long-term in a state of fear or in a state of anxiety. They're just, it's an, sort of an emergency response system. It's not the way we were supposed to operate day to day. When we worry, we keep ourselves in that place. And you know, an, an anxiety disorder can do the same thing. It can keep us in that place. The difference is that's not voluntary. Right. That's an involuntary response. Worry, you know, when we choose to engage in worry, that's voluntary and we can make a different choice. Well, I love how you wrote down some things in the book. And I also did some um, research on brain plasticity and how worry affects us overall. Um, and one study that was put out by Dr. Conrad says, uh, we get depressed, fatigued, anxious, panicked, and burned out. Our organs operate in an adverse way with our bodies. 
Um, the brain also, in the fight or flight response, can have too many chemicals flooding it. It taxes the epinephrine, the norepinephrine, the dopamine, the serotonin, the receptors in our brain, so many things that automatically happen um, when there is an anxiety disorder, which I do have. And so you're talking to someone who is like, I don't want to be having elevated homocysteine level, which affects my heart and affects heart disease. I do not want to have thyroid issues. What is your direction for someone who does have that disorder? Yeah. So, you know, basically, I, I believe anxiety disorder, like any other form of mental illness, and by the way, you know, mental illness it can be a scary term for people. And right. often they think, oh, you know, schizophrenia or some, some of the most rare forms of mental illness um, and the most severe. But mental illness just means it's some kind of disorder or illness that has its root in our brains and right. in the way our right. brains function. Yeah. So like instead of some other... Someone has like cancer in some organ of the body, but even in the brain. But if we say mental illness, they go, what? I don't know what to do with that. You're exactly right. It's just, it's a flu or whatever, but it's in the organ of the brain. Exactly. So it's, you know, just like any other organ of our bodies, our brains are, they can become diseased. They can um, become dysfunctional. They can be injured as well. Yeah. So, you know, the most for common form of mental illness in the United States is anxiety disorders. Mm -hmm. And an anxiety disorder will happen to about 30% of us over the course of our lifetime. So it's extremely common. And, you know, even though, like I said, I've never had a panic attack, that doesn't mean I won't. That might, that might happen at some point for me in my life. Um, it's very, it's just very common. So it's not, you know, this, this, um, great, like mysterious, rare thing that we need to keep hidden and, and be ashamed of. The, the absolute best thing to do for it is to, let you know to let somebody know and to seek help and and you know to treat it like we would any other form of dysfunction or illness in our bodies that require that can be healed that can be um, at least improved with with work and with professional guidance. So you know I always encourage people who have an anxiety disorder if they experience panic attacks or feel like anxiety you know really takes over their lives and and impedes their ability to function, um, to seek help from a professional. And the, and the sooner we do that, just like any other form of illness, the, the better are, the more the effective the treatment will be, um, and the better we'll do long-term. Some people need to take medication that helps control that reaction in their bodies. Um, some people just need to do some therapy, People who take medication, um, for the most part, need to do therapy too, mm. um, because essentially what's happening with an anxiety disorder is that system, that fight or flight response is working overtime. Mm. You know, that a gift, a good gift given to us by God is working too well. So it's essentially too much of a good thing. And it just means that that, that response is engaged at a time when we don't need it. Mm. So it's not helpful to us. And so there are various things we can try try to bring it back under control. And and by the way, I like to mention, if somebody has an anxiety disorder, it does not mean that person is any more worried than the person next to them who doesn't have an anxiety disorder. It's possible that that person's system is just more sensitive 
to to stimulation, yes. you know, or or because of some experience they've had in the past, a traumatic experience, yes. for example, which often causes this. Yes. Um, you know, their body has been sort of trained to re to overreact right. to right. to be that, that kind of stimulation. Yeah, exactly. It's a protective instinct. Mm -hmm. So it's not a it's not a reason for shame or something that if you ignore it, it's just going to go away on its own. Um, it's best to, to to figure it out, to treat it, to deal with it, and to then manage it as you as you go forward. And but that's completely different in my mind from you know, if you don't have an anxiety disorder and you just sit and worry uh -huh. a lot, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's a completely different experience. And um, to me, there's a lot more choice involved in that act, even if it doesn't interfere with our lives as much. Um, that doesn't may mean that it's not serious and doesn't need to be dealt with. Well, I loved, loved what you put about um, worry, the general worries that we have. They're manufactured. We worry about work, parenting, civic and civil rights and duties, too much information, insurance, our finances, our mortgages, our jobs. And then you put good Christian worry, which I just got a kick out of <laughs> because you said it's a um, display of dedication. You know, we can be so worried about the church's this or that, that it, it may appear like we're dedicated rather than, no, we're just, we just think we have more power than we do. We don't have that much power. Or you said worried um, prayers, filling God in on what's wrong, hoping that God gets worried too. I thought that was a very funny one. Communicating our calling, important things to do, different responsibilities, um, evangelistic worries. Oh, we're worried about the lost. You know, those all sound so spiritually good, but then who's in charge? Exactly. Yeah, and for a lot of of people, I think that's really the question at the root of mm -hmm. our worry, mm -hmm. you know, is who who's in charge? And I know for me, that's a big issue in my life. Um, I often I often feel that I am responsible yes. <laughs> for making sure at least my life, but probably the lives of other people, too, don't go off the rails, you know, or that the planet doesn't explode or, you know, whatever. And when I examine that belief, it's I understand that it's ridiculous, but it can still it, it can still take root yes. in my mind without me even realizing it until suddenly that belief is fueling this, you know, this anxiety or this worry that's completely inappropriate. That's not helping me. It's not helping others. And ultimately, you know, creates a barrier between me and God. Well, it really does. In fact, you talked about internal and external locus of control and how in your master's degree program, you had taken the test and scored very high on having an internal locus of control, meaning I, I'm hyper responsible. Wouldn't you say that is something very common to kids who are raised in the environment that you were in? Yeah, it, it actually, it really is. And and not just when there's mental illness present, but if there's, say, a, a parent is um, has a substance abuse problem yeah. um, or there's for some reason, there's just a lot of chaos in a, a person's home. 
um, that is one way that children can respond, you know, with this hyper responsibility and developing a sense of um, independence and responsibility for themselves, maybe for their siblings, that really isn't appropriate for a child their age, you know, that right. they should they shouldn't actually have to carry that level level of responsibility. And yeah, I mean, that's where it comes from for me, I think, is that experience. I really did become hyper responsible um, as a child, but especially when I was a teenager, when I really, you know, I lived, I lived with my parents, I lived with my family, but I functioned pretty much independently and really took um, charge of my own life. And the funny thing is, I, I felt responsible for my siblings, and my siblings were all the same way. <laughs> they all, they were all hyper responsible too, mm -hmm. and all felt responsible for, for me. You know, we, we felt responsible for each other, and yet we all were... Um, taking way too much responsibility for ourselves. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's not an uncommon experience at all for someone who grows up the way I did, or even in different circumstances that might produce the same impulses. Um, and yeah, so I still struggle with that. But the, the cool thing is, um, you know, I do have, I, I have come to understand, or at least um, I'm in the process of really understanding that I do have a heavenly parent mm. who actually is in control and is in charge and actually loves me and um, cares about me and is watching over me, even if the way that looks in everyday life, uh, you know, I'm, I wouldn't always choose. I wouldn't always agree with, you know, the way that looks in everyday life. Um, to me, that just means it's my life is, you know, it's not about me. It's not about my comfort or my well-being ultimately here on this planet. Um, but it is it is always good. Well, um, <clears throat> one of the things that I wanted to ask also, you said um, I can, there's believing in God and trusting in God, and then there's believing God and trusting God. And those can be miles apart. I know in my own life when things have happened that have been, incredibly, incredibly painful on top of this anxiety um, automatic response. I'm like, yeah, Lord, I believe you're good for everybody else, but I'm struggling to believe you're going to be good here. Now, how do you respond to that? Because I know I'm not the only person who, who feels that at times. Yeah, you're definitely not the only person who feels that. In fact, I can very much relate to what you're saying, too. And um, not just for, for me, another struggle has been, um, I believe God is love. Mm -hmm. I believe God loves everyone. God loves the whole world. But sometimes it's very hard for me to believe that God loves me. I was going to ask know? you that question. That's so interesting. Yes, I understand. Yeah, yeah. So... You know, that's a very different proposition. And if I believe God loves me, if I really believe that, um, that changes the way I live, like right now. It changes the way I feel. It changes the way I see everything in my life. It's easier for me. It's somewhat easier to have this sort of generic, yes, I believe this about God. I can cognitively affirm that God loves everyone. But believing God loves me, you know, I, I'm noticing what I'm doing with my hands right now, even as, as I say that, because, you know, when I say God loves the world cognitively, I'm, I'm pointing up here yeah. with my hands. And when I say God loves me, it's, you know, it's here. It's, it's in my in chest. Yeah. Um, it's in my heart. You know, it's a, I feel that in a completely different 
part of my body. Mm. <laughs> I We feel it in a different way in our spirits. It does something different to us. So, you know, and it requires something different of us. So if we believe God is good, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing. If we believe God is good to us, he's good. He's good in this moment. You know, that's another thing. It changes the way we feel. It changes the way we live and it changes, you know, you know, it changes what we believe we, we, um, are responsible for, you know, right. it, it changes the right. way we relate to him. So right. yeah, it can be very powerful that, that move from, and head knowledge is extremely important. I'm not, I'm not discounting that, but, but really owning that as a, a personal, um, faith mm. that got, that really guides, um, our emotional habits is a very different thing. How long did it take for you to, and I know this, I know that in essence, it's not really a chronological question, but for you to get from your head down into your heart, Jesus loves me. He loves the person watching you say this right now. How long did you, ha I mean, is that still something that you have to remind yourself of? It is. Yeah. And that's why I'm, I'm thinking, how do I answer that question? Because like you said, it's, it's not really a chronological question. Um, and for me, it's, it's still in process. It yeah. really is. Um, you know, and I've come to the place first, I had to come to the place where I realized that I, that I struggled with that, mm. you know, that, that there was a disconnect between what I would affirm about God and what I really believed about God for myself. That's a huge um, leap for so many of us. Yeah. Exactly. It is. And, you know, for me, it's been a long, it's been a long journey. And it's been one of the things that I've worked on in therapy, you know, with, with different counselors. Um, it's been one of the things I've, you know, I've prayed over and um, meditated over scripture um, on. And it's, you know, it's something I can, I just have to, I continue to be struck by, um, you know, I might be, um, this happened not so not not too long ago where actually where I was in a in a church service and I was singing with the rest of the congregation and I don't re even remember what song it was or anything but it was a song that sort of affirmed that that concept mm. you know that God loves me and I remember thinking I remember kind of having this thought in my mind that that's yeah that's true for everybody else you know during this song yeah and I noticed it. And, you know, I think the Holy Spirit sort of called my attention to it and, and realized, no, I have, you know, I have to sing this with the conviction that this is true for me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I still, I still struggle with that sometimes. And those, that for me, I think one of the, at least one of the things that is, is it's an automatic thought, you know, it's an automatic negative thought. Mm -hmm. Um, that my husband is a is a therapist actually, um, and he does cognitive behavioral therapy all the time. So he's always he always uses these terms with me, you know. So automatic negative thought that there is a there is a part of my brain that automatically goes to oh, but he doesn't love me, you know, be, because of um, the a long history I have with that idea, and yet I need to constantly challenge that with the truth with 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 what I actually know is true. Yes, and. I know that truth from, you know, other sources. It doesn't come from the same place that that automatically negative thought comes. Um, but I, I have to, I have to choose to bring my, my mind there yes. rather than to this automatic thought. And it is a choice. 
Especially when yes. those thoughts are automatic. Because the choice is, am I going to believe what God says? Or am I not going to believe it? I mean, it's one or the other because it's not like being halfway pregnant or halfway married. Either you believe this or you don't. And the, I think the biggest interference comes when we allow our feelings to speak louder than what the truth speaks to us. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we really do, I, the thought that, or the scripture that comes to mind for me right now is the, you know, the one that says we hold, we take every thought captive for Christ. You know, we really do have to do the work. Um, we can't just expect that when Christ enters our lives and, you know, we spend time with, in, with scripture and, and with the Holy Spirit, those things will change us. God changes us. He does. But we also have to do the work to become more emotionally mature, you know, to, um, to discipline ourselves, to turn our thoughts toward truth and not allow those automatic thoughts to dictate our feelings. You know, so often you're saying, you know, we're, we're, we're dictated by the, the feeling and that feeling itself has a belief behind it. Yes. You know, it has yes. something that we believe. So if, when we change, when we choose to focus our thoughts on another belief, mm -hmm. that, that feeling will change too. And that process does become easier over time. Mm -hmm. Thanks to, you know, you mentioned neuroplasticity are those neural pathways can change yeah. and the, the physical structure of our brains actually changes as we choose different thought patterns and suddenly eventually over time some of the some of those new thought patterns become our automatic thoughts instead of the old ones that were destructive to us and false which is so wonderful that science now we're at a place where we can study this and i sent you the name of that podcast that i had just um found but they talked a lot about and and this is a lot about wellness it's not just anxiety and worry and I've got to stop doing that. This is about being well as a person, as a Christian in this, in our community. And um, on this podcast that I was listening to, they talked about oxytocin, which is, of course, the female, uh, a hormone, but for females is for lactation and um, childbirth, but it also affects the brain in numerous ways for oxygen, promotion, and um, it creates trust and psychological wellness or well-being. Um, another study I read was from Amsterdam about tyrosine, which is an amino acid as well. And a lot of times, Amy, as you have said, and as I've talked about, the automatic worry response shuts those off. But when we choose to go in the other direction, there is definitely a chemical change in our lives as well. Wouldn't you say that has been an experience of yours? Yeah, that has been an experience of mine. And one of the cool things that I've learned in my life is some of the things that God has prescribed for us yeah. <laughs> actually foster our, our wellness as well. Our, you know, this kind of um, good balance of chemicals in our brains and, and um, amino acids and hormones, you know, within our bodies, um, things like prayer. Yes. Um, things like rest, you know, t just getting enough sleep, um, taking a day off take or taking a day of rest, um, being with family, laughter, mm. <laughs> you know, forgiveness, um, compassion. Did you have to bring up forgiveness? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> gratitude. How about gratitude? Yeah. Well, you know, and they said oxytocin is one of the things that is released when we are grateful and when we are kind. I had no idea. So, you know, the more we 
obey what God actually tells us to do, the more we welcome his transformational work in us, the more we, I think, engage in life with the, the joy mm. of a relationship with him, you know, letting go some of these other things, the more, the more our life actually fosters our wellness. And they're always discovering, oh yeah, you know, we did another study and guess what? Gratitude is really good for, for you. Yeah. You know, oh, no. forgiveness can be healing. Um, you know, all these things that God has told us to do and sort of built into us, um, it turns out they're really good for us. You know, I loved your uh, reference to Philippians 4 on to think on whatever is right and true and good. And as I was reading your book, I started listing those things out. And I thought, you know, that would be a, a great practice to become habitually connected to what is good, what is right, and what is true. And am I focusing on those things on a consistent basis? Yeah, exactly. In fact, it's one of the things we can do um, it, when, we're feel, when we're worrying, mm -hmm. you know, is try to uh, reorient our thoughts toward looking at the situation in a whole different way. And one of those th things we can do is um, look at it the way God sees it. <laughs> um, you know, try to see it from, from God's perspective, what's actually important here. And it can change our point of view because we can often be fixated on something that doesn't feel right to us or doesn't yes. feel good or doesn't feel true or, you know, simply doesn't match the way we want it to be. And when we look at it through that lens of yes. what is actually good and right and true here, um, sometimes we can see a potential in that situation that we couldn't even see before because we were so focused on making ourselves feel better. Yes, in fact, which is, go ahead, which what? I was just going to say, which is often what we're doing when we're worrying. We're trying yes. to soothe ourselves and we can we can miss the whole point. <laughs> you know, you can miss everything else that, that may potentially happening in this situation because we're so focused on just trying to make ourselves feel better. Yeah. That is such a human, um, a human drive, I think, is how do we feel better? And I don't think the Lord tells us in scripture that it's our jobs to make ourselves feel better. That's why he came. Now we need to be responsible, of course, but not always comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, of course, we all hope to have times of comfort and times of joy and happiness in our lives. Um, but I think one of the things that's important for us to do is um, manage our expectations about yes. what life yes. can and should be. You know, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be peaceful all the time. It's not going to be easy for anybody um, for some of us, we might look at somebody else's life and think, oh, you know, they have it so easy compared to me, but it's usually because we, we don't see what's really happening for them or what's coming for them down the road. You know, everybody has trouble. Everybody has frustration. Um, everybody ha suffers from the effects of sin yeah. in, in this world and in our personal lives. So, you know, when we expect that, when we expect that, yes, life comes with danger, Mm. Yes, someday I will die. Yes, I could lose the people I love. You know, that those things are part of life. Not that they don't matter, but that we expect them. Um, it it can really change our, we, we reach a level of acceptance yes. that can, can mitigate some of our worry, can actually take away some of our worry because sometimes we're just trying to prevent 
the things that are inevitable. <laughs> you yes, know, just yes. if I could just, if this could just not happen or if this could just not happen, well, you know what? Some of that's just going to happen. It's so, going to fall apart. Let it fall apart. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, I just heard a speaker the other day say the, um, the secret to joy is to reduce our expectations and to increase our appreciation and be grateful for things in life. And that's easier said than done when you're going through a tough season. I get that. Um, Amy, as we come to a close, I know that there are some people who are hearing this or watching this and they're like, I've tried everything. I've tried CBT. I've tried EMDR. I have tried um, um, immersion therapy. I've tried every form of therapy. I've been on all the medications. Speak to that person who has a sense of hopelessness and give them um, something to cling to. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not going to say it, it doesn't matter or, um, you know, just get over it or it'll be I'll give you this this one tip and it'll be easy. You know, right. none of that's true. <laughs> and if that tip exists for making this easy, um, I don't have it. Some you're going to have to get that from somebody else. Right. It's it's not easy. Um, it, this this life is not easy for anyone, truly. And it's really, really hard when you, when you live with a, a chronic mental health issue. I mean, I, I know I live with, or I have lived with, you know, someone who, who suffers just almost unimaginably from the symptoms of schizophrenia and from the consequences of the choices made, you know, because of those symptoms. I would never be one to gloss over that. You know, that how hard life can be. I know that. Um, at the same time, I am such a firm believer in redemption. And both redemption in the coming world and in this life as well. So I, I, I mean, I just cling to the hope that we will be remade. Yeah. You know, that God will make us new. He will give us new bodies. He will give us new brains. You know, all Thank the things the that, Lord. Yeah. All the things that go wrong with us now, someday they won't go they won't even be there anymore. There'll be a distant memory. And I love um what Paul says in, in when he says, um, our present troubles are small mm -hmm. and won't last very long. But God will give us, you know, glory that will last forever. And we we just like someday all of this will be, you know, a distant memory. Mm -hmm. It will seem like a blip on the on the screen. That doesn't necessarily make it easier to bear now, but I think it can help um, to recognize that it, it won't go on forever. We have literally the opportunity to live forever, and for most of that forever, um, we'll be whole and we will be well. And then the other cool piece about that is, um, for now, even though God may not take away your suffering, even though he may not, um, you know, make, make it all a distant memory for, for this life, um, he will do something with it. And for me, that's just brought me a, a lot of comfort in my life, um, in the various ways that I've suffered, um, in the things that keep coming back around to me, like, here's this again, <laughs> you know, I can't seem to get rid of this. Um, watching for the ways God wants to use that in my life to make me more like him, um, to make me more like the person he wants me to be. And um, to help other people. So, you know, I think, you know, growing up in the family that I did, um, having some of the trauma that I experienced, 
I, I have reached a point where I have stopped trying to make all of that go away. You know, and for a long time, I just tried to make all of it go away so that um, I didn't I didn't have to I, I could be the, the person that I would have been without suffering any of that. And I now realize, number one, that's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> um, and number two, it's not actually what I want because yeah. it's not what it's not. That's not the person God wants me to be. Right. The person God wants me to be is the one who, you know, is sad to a degree, right. who I do have gaps in my life. I do have some holes in my heart. Um, and, and God has, has healed me, you know, to a degree where I'm able to live well with that, but he hasn't taken it all away. Right. And, and because of that, because of, of, there's a degree of pain in my life. Um, he's made me in, he's made me a, a more, a person who can be with other people's pain. You know, who can live with um, imperfections in a way that I would not be able to live with or be with imperfections if I hadn't been through any of that. So I just feel confident in saying that for everyone, you know, there's there is something that God wants to do in and through your suffering that you um, that would not be possible without it. And I don't mean that that means it's good. I don't mean that that means it's what God wants for you. I just mean that it's a, it's part of life. It's part of your life and God will, will make good out of it. Yeah. That is such a great, great way to come to an end here because believing that he will make something good out of whatever mess comes around, that's hope. And that means so much. And we need to hear that all the time. Well, Amy, you speak, you teach, you write. How can people get a hold of you? Because they need to get in touch with all of your stuff. I love your blog, and I love all your writings. Thank you. Um, yeah, my website is a great way to get in touch with me. I kind of put everything there, and it's amysimpsononline.com. Um, people can contact me through that website if they want to. There's a contact form they can fill out. It'll, it'll send an email to me. Um, you can also find me on, on Twitter, on Facebook. Um, and, you know, sometimes uh, writing in various publications, writing articles, uh, you might see my face here or there. <laughs> I think we'll see it in a lot of places. And I will put those in the show notes as well. Um, Amy, thank you for sharing your story and the very real struggles that you do have and for giving us hope that we can move forward knowing Christ is in control and we can just let him have that.